Welcome to the Truth Lover video podcast presented by Love and Truth Party. I am your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, transformational coach, retreat leader, and founder of Love and Truth Party. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating health, healing, and happiness, liberating humanity from the matrix of fear and self-loathing. Find us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org. We exist as a community to empower the deep realization and integration of unity of consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as New Earth Ninjas, our playful avatar. We do so in the spirit of play, holding the paradox of all as well, even and including all collective crises, whilst simultaneously being moved to act, to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these and within the happiness hacks, including the seven questions and other free resources for healing and awakening found on Love and Truth Party. I'm delighted to be joined today by our guest, Brooke Thomas. And Brooke Thomas is the host of the Liberated Being community and the co-creator of the Excellent Bliss and Grit podcast and the creator of the Liberated Body podcast. She's been in practice for 20 years, offering rolfing, realization process and embodied coaching. Her life work sits at the intersection of where the body meets the experience we each have of our lives, of our beingness. Brooke, welcome. It's lovely to have you here today. Thank you, Will. So sweet to be here with you. We've uh, spoken on on Bliss and Grip before, which is this excellent um, podcast. And uh, so we're sort of switching roles, though not really. It's kind of the same thing here on The Truth Lover today. And this topic that um, you sort of brought forth, it's very much your life's work and it's very much something I'm deeply passionate about. And I think it's going to be really useful for our viewers. We've, we've, we've titled it as uh, Awakening Embodiment and the Nervous System. Awakening Embodiment and the Nervous System. And there's a, there's a huge breadth and depth to that. And we've got a few questions that we, we, we may bring in. Do you, do you feel we want to bring one or two of the questions to begin the dialogue? or Because I think they're just really useful framings for some of what we might want to explore, um, particularly around the nervous system and the dark night of the soul. Yeah, well, they're massive topics right and any of those awakening embodiment nervous system all feel really massive and i would say the main interest for me is in how much we often just don't put them in the same space to play together there's something about the path you know the path of spiritual awakening that so often gets talked about as separate from the container that they happen in, which is a human body, <laughs> that consciousness is consciousness. You know, consciousness is already awake. <laughs> it's already um, healed. 
of things like conditioning or, or pain or, or trauma or lineage pain or trauma. Um, but we're here doing this actually in a very specific container called a human body and a human being and a human life. And so I honestly, I've gotten to the place where I, I don't think of them as that separate, really, you know, that the, the experience of the nervous system and waking consciousness or what we would call living an embodied awake life are, every time I play with it, I see how much they're, I just keep wondering, are they the same thing? Mm. You know, how much of this are separate things, but we just often shun things like nervous system or body or physiology when we're talking about waking to spirit or soul or making this transition. Yeah. And I even noticed that as we were dialoguing prior to this recording, there was um, a, a seeping through of that uh, Descartian split that uh, perhaps we haven't fully re recovered from or, or, or integrated. And we know that in, in, in Mandarin, there's a word for body mind. And we, and we now do have this word as a colloquialism in English, right? We say body-mind that would yeah. recognize the, the unification or the integration of the two. And yet, in one of the questions that you posed, um, which was around the dark night of the soul and the nervous system, I was really fascinated by it. And I was aware... So I'll just read it out because I think it's helpful. Why are some people more prone to a dark night of the soul? And what's going on on a nervous system level there? And I noticed that I hadn't ever thought about that. Um, it, it's, for some reason, dark night of the soul was very, very spiritual. Um, and whereas I have an inclination to look at a holistic perception of, say, depression, I'm, of course, aware that there's a neurochemical correlate there um though i would eschew the uh, faulty brain chemistry narrative but i hadn't ever thought okay you know, with the dark night of the soul like what is the physiological process you know is there a uh, is there an angle there that would be useful i think there certainly is so what what have you found maybe working with clients in, in your own contemplation and inquiry around that like looking into the unification of body and mind specifically around the dark night of the soul yeah well i i want to start just by really honoring dark night of the soul really inviting the mystery here you know that that i'm not trying to dissect it or life hack it into not existing you know where i've figured it out and now it doesn't exist because i think it is you know, if we develop an ego as a way, when we're young, age zero to three, as a way of making sense of the world, how do I get love? How do I get safety? How do I know that I exist as a person? And then we live in a culture where everyone, even the grown-ups, you know, 99.9% .9 of people are also still orienting from their ego self, then if that starts to go away <laughs> and we start to realize, oh my gosh, I'm not just that, you know, there's, I, I'm not, I'm not that. That's this funny, funny thing, important, beloved thing. So I'm not here to make it the enemy either, but it's not what I am. 
there's going to be a fundamental groundlessness to that. And the, the body is going to respond in a certain amount of survival type crisis because it feels like a death. You know, this is why teachers have said things like awakening is like going to your own funeral, which I think was uh, Trungpa saying that one. It's realizing, oh my gosh, I'm not what I always thought that I was. So um, Dark Knight in some ways is just a part of this process of groundlessness. But what I'm interested in, and I'm interested in it because of my own experience, <laughs> mm. is why, why do some people get swallowed by a dark night that feels like terror mm. for a long period of time? And so, you know, just briefly about my own experience, I don't, I don't love sort of rehashing awakening stories. <laughs> so I'll, I'll try not to like go into that too much, but you know, having, I had a year with three major realizations and, um, and so the self starts to fall away. Ego falls away. You see, oh my gosh, I'm not that. And you see what you actually are. You, by see, I mean directly experience. Um, and it feels at first, and a lot of people talk about this experience, um, like a euphoria, like pure love and like the safest you could possibly feel because you realize that all of those fears of the little me of how do I know I exist? How do I get love? How do I, you know, get to get safe, go away. Um, and then, you know, and this happens for some people and then the sort of drunk on love, drunk on emptiness phase, uh, shifts into what we would call a dark night. And I think there's something really important and powerful about a dark night that I don't have the answer to and I don't understand. So I'm not trying to put it in the bad category. Um, but my work, you know, prior to my own experience was, you know, as you read, as a rolfer, and I ran the Liberated Body podcast where I was talking, basically it was a lot of conversations with really interesting people about what's a body so getting into a lot of inquiries about, well, what is this thing? And how does it affect our experience of our lives? And I've studied you know, trauma responses in the nervous system a lot. And I realized that those who have a tendency towards dark night, that there are ways that dark night, and again, this is something I'm tinkering with, I don't have solid answers on, there are ways that it relates more to, um, to go into sciencey bits a little bit, the dorsal vagal complex. So just to briefly describe those things, there's something called the polyvagal theory created by Dr. Stephen Porges. And it's a theory that talks about the vagal nerve, which is our 10th cranial nerve. It regulates our autonomic nervous system. It regulates our heart rate. It regulates our digestion. So vagal means wandering. It really wanders from the brainstem through all of these connecting, all these really important places in the human body. Um, so it's what for a long time had been thought of as our fight flight nerve. You know, it's the nerve that perceives or neurocepts is what he would describe. And I'll explain what that means a little more. Got to get to safety, time to fight or time to flee. And we talked a lot about this fight, flee, fight, flee, which of course are two real things in our trauma responses. But he talks about how polyvagal, it has two branches. 
So the ventral vagal is this fight flight. The dorsal vagal is freeze. So it's the older part of the brain. It's our more lizard part of the brain. And it's the, the total shutdown response. And it's more connected to our, our brain's way of when you're so overwhelmed by a stimulus that you realize you cannot fight and you cannot flee, the brain just shuts down. That that is actually the most intelligent thing that the nervous system can do to get you to safety at that time is just shut everything down. And some of us have more tendencies towards freeze than others. Hmm. And we can have that for a number of reasons. We can have that because of our own histories of trauma, for sure. If we grew up with abuse or if we grew up with severe neglect, we can have that if we had um, medical issues, medical trauma at a very young age. Um, in my case, I had a, a birth injury so, and brain injury when I was born. And, and then you know, your grab bag of trauma growing up. <laughs> and there can be lineage trauma as well. So um, one of my favorite books that helped me a lot through Dark Knight is Collision with the Infinite. Do you know that book by Susan Siegel? I don't. I love the oh, title. so good. Mm. Oh, it's, it's out of print now, but you can still, of course, find it in the corners of the internet. Mm -hmm. She's um, no longer with us, but it's a beautiful memoir of her own awakening and a 12-year dark night. Mm -hmm. And then what did that look like when that went away? What happened? Um, and she is you know, born of, of Holocaust survivors. And she doesn't implicate that in her book as far as I remember. You know, like, ah. But there are certain things that these responses in our nervous system, and we have four, the four Fs, fight, flee, fawn, which is to appease or please your um, threat, and freeze. Mm -hmm. they, we all have all of them. They're all wonderful parts of us that mm. save our lives, so they're not, we don't need to demonize them. Um, but some of them become tendencies. You mm -hmm. know, Just like when we study anything about neuroplasticity, the more we habitually have to go a certain route, the more well-trod that route becomes. So what happens to those of us who are familiar with freeze and then the ego starts to <laughs> suddenly become not our orienting mechanism for all that we are, it can take us down this path of, of shutdown, actually. I think. And I, I wonder if, like, first, I, I love the way that you create some clarity that we're not here to to life hack the dark night of the soul and there's a there's a a respect and a bowing to this this mysterious process that clearly has a, an immensity and an intensity of intelligence yeah. um and functionality um and 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 yes it's been part of my journey as well so it feels that that's important to create clarity around um, in my case, just briefly, there's been two experiences, and and the second caused me to find out that um, in some of the literature, a second dark night of the soul is 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 common in um, ha ha how that process unfolds, which was yeah. reassuring somewhat because I was like, yeah, for God's sake, um, we've 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 
we've been here, haven't we? <laughs> this, this, yes. was, this, this was, this was done. Um, why, why, why now? So there's a non, a non linearity there for sure. But what came forth when you were really beautifully articulating that lens was in that moment of of the of the of the collapse of the egoic self whether we look at that as a default mode network um mm-hmm. ceasing to function in the way that it had been and i think there's a great narrative a great lens right as, as we look at the sort of non-linear process of realization of oneness or consciousness knowing itself and then perhaps um the stages of that process being integrated and embodied because if we've had that default mode network firing for most of our 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years before such an experience arises, is is it reasonable to imagine that it would fall away in one moment of illumination? Um, Maybe it is right. Maybe, such a surge of Kundalini or whatever actually creates a sort of blast of sorts that does affect that outcome such that the neurological functioning is now distinct than it was prior. Mm-hmm. You spoke to the opening into joy and bliss and, and, and so on. And then the, the process after that. And I want to tie that in. I want to hear your views on how that freezing um so in so in, in that looseness and that opening there's the joy mm-hmm. and then soon enough sooner or later whether 24 hours or, or or 24 days or a few months that which the default mode network the egoic functioning has protected against has defended against has carefully ensured we're not going to feel has carefully ensured we're not going to be overwhelmed by Mm-hmm. that those defense mechanisms aren't there or they're not working so well that they're, 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 right. they're, they're non-reliable. So now there is a, a, a coming into the experience in the nervous system, into consciousness, material, shadow, repressed trauma, pain that we haven't encountered before. Yeah. That we, we, we have so beautifully intelligently not encountered before um and, and is it is it there where perhaps the the the, the freeze happens and, and and is that freeze different from the freeze back when it first occurred right you know whether it was that trauma in the childhood or from grandparents or right yeah, so so you bring up something pretty interesting because I this is something I wonder about a lot. You know, how much of the um, dark night, or we could just say, so that we don't all put it in the dark night category, any really of the sort of pain or terror or things that we need to grapple with as we realize our true nature, how much of it is related to like taking the lid off Pandora's box? Mm-hmm. You know, the the structures that kept us, kept those things below consciousness are now no longer in place. And so here it comes, you know, here comes all that material, all of our shadow side, all of the repressed traumas. 
Um, and I think there's really something to that for sure, because as you were saying, the, the default mode network, the ego structure itself, it, it keeps us from experiencing the fire hydrant blast of all of those things all at once. Um, the other piece of this, so that has sort of a, one of the reasons why I don't feel like that's the only thing that's going on is it has a little bit of this sort of empty the bucket of badness idea hmm. about awakening, right? That we need hmm. to get all of the, um, the bad parts of our human lives or our ancestors' human lives or, you know, get empty the bucket of badness. And I feel like that's still being pulled through this lens of ego, through this lens of identity, which still is this dualistic split, right? Like there's the good me that is God consciousness and there's the bad me that has the bad stuff in there and we need to get the bad stuff out so we can have the experience of God consciousness and embody and, and integrate that. Um, and, yeah. and can it be simply illumining the darkness? You know, so not any sort of, because it feels like there's a helpfulness in that lens. And I see, I see the, the, the danger there that it can become a, yeah, you know, see, seeing the bad yeah, stuff and it'll if, be good. Right. If the, depending on how much the ego is in the driver's seat, right. Cause like mm -hmm. you were saying, it doesn't all, all at once we switch drivers, right. So mm -hmm. depending on how much the ego is still hopping into the driver's seat, it will take that point of view, right. I need to get mm -hmm. rid of the bad in me so that I can have more of that experience of realization. But I do think there is something really, really useful about it, right? Of, oh, you know, we really see what's there. We really encounter what's there. So the question then is like, well, how, how can we tolerate seeing that? How can we tolerate it in a way where we can metabolize it and that it doesn't trigger us into um, fear or shame god the amount of shame i sat with through dark mm. night was almost like i that feeling like i'll do anything to not have to literally anything to not have to feel this feeling mm. just you know months of okay here's the plan just don't kill yourself you know like that mm. was the the, mm -hmm. the only operating function that i could have for a while because the shame and the terror were so strong and mm -hmm. i don't think i'm alone in this which is why i'm passionate about talking about it so what makes a system interpret it through now suddenly it is the fire hydrant blasts, right? Where you're seeing and feeling all of it, but you can't metabolize it. It's not just the gaze of, ah, you know, here's my full humanity or here's my full self. And this is the piece where what our habitual um, way of perceiving is gets pulled through. So to make it less obtuse, right, in terms of like ventral vagal, dorsal vagal, which of the four Fs are we operating in in trauma response? To make it really simple, it's like how capable is this body of perceiving, experiencing, and receiving safety? Hmm. Can we just make it about familiarity with this is what safety feels like. It's good. And I know how to, to take that in. Hmm. Because for people who, for whatever reason, 
have a system that doesn't have that kind of regulation in the nervous system, um, it's going to feel really unfamiliar. So I think one of the things that can be really um, tricky about spiritual realization, I mean, and it's candy, like I want it all the time. So I'm not, I'm not down on spiritual realization. But one of the things, you know, if it feels like suddenly, you know, in my experience, it was like, oh my God, I don't have to fear. I don't fear anything because I'm not, you know, the words in, in my head were like, I'm not a person. I've never done anything in my whole life. And it was the most wonderful experience ever. Mm. But then what if the nervous system, just the habit of the actual physical body is um, openness isn't safe. Mm. It's not safe to feel this wide open. And so then it takes it down the pathway of, well, how do we get to safety? When we've felt this large a shift before or sensation, what did we do? Ah, let's take the road to dorsal vagal. And I'm being kind of cute about the narrative because these things are happening way before, you know, conscious thought comes into play. <laughs> and we imagine, or uh, I understand that those initial experiences that become patterned reactive um, or, or responses, let's say they're reactions, that, that could be how I interacted with my mother, say, in that first 12 months. It could be yeah. once or twice, but I I, I'm speculating that there was a, an, an opening to, to, to love, to, to, to that, that oneness of motherly love. And then if mm -hmm. that were withdrawn once or twice for whatever reason, or I, may, I imagine there are, you've mentioned a few possible forms why, where, where that trauma can arise, then there's mm -hmm. a, a conditioned response to perceive that openness or that love as unsafe or, or unreliable or, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's an aspect to all this, which is rather mesmeric for me to be bringing together all these different angles and perspectives from the personal narrative to lineages beyond our mm -hmm. individual lives. That's just, that's, that's profound and, and, and beautiful. Um, and does that, I mean, I, I can only speak from my experience, obviously, and I, I think I had a pretty good, consistent supply of motherly love in mm -hmm. those first few years. So I wonder, but that's not to say that I haven't had you know, garden variety trauma and so on of, of, of birth, you know, the, the sacred wound we all share of being rejected into this physical world and other challenges and so on. And, and certainly my process of, awakening hasn't been one that was um it seems like there's been a little bit more karmic load perhaps i'm, right. I'm, I'm not going to put myself at the extremes but certainly there are teachers and people out there who seem to have had a little bit more of a smooth like Whoo, oh yes <laughs> um, right and that's the sort of signature of low low karmic load right right yeah and, and maybe you can speak to, to to that or if you want to drive drive back into the um 
the, the childhood, but it feels like the, the karmic load if, or if we're talking about intergenerational trauma, um, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's two distinct pieces there that are going to inform, you know, literally inform yeah. how this nervous system is inclined to respond to the openness and to what comes up within that openness as well in terms of yeah whatever that is yeah i mean there's a lot of mystery here that i i try to be really respectful of because obviously mm-hmm. i can have the kind of mind that likes to figure things out you know and that's why i do um work that's about really deeply sitting with questions um i've learned to be more suspicious of or just aware that i actually can't figure anything out and that everything's a lot more interesting when I acknowledge that. Mm. So it's tempting and it's sure been tempting for me because I, I'm really familiar with my, um, my trauma history. It's tempting for me to just go, ah, that's why, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't know that that's why I think that Mm. there's something about, um, again, making it real simple, there's something about what has the experience of safety been like for any individual, right? Because I think there's somebody, I think there's plenty of people who are born to very sane, loving families, and they get a lot of really good attuned bonding and care. And they've always known that they just have a highly sensitive nervous system. They don't know why, you know, they're prone to anxiety or depression. They can't point out a reason. And I think that sometimes that's a person who was born into into a sensitivity to be a healer Mm. for a lineage, a healer for the world, because Mm -hmm. we are all trying to make a transition here. Um, So uh, this whole point of view about the nervous system funnily enough, even though I'm talking about like the container of the in, an individual body, um, the more I remember that I'm not, this individual body isn't just, an, you know, an individual body. It was born from the Big Bang, just like everything else. It was born from stars. It was born from a long line of ancestors. It's connected to everything. So I don't know why this one is metabolizing things this way (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it seems to be what's happening here so i can't always nail down right like oh you're having that response because you know this is the bullet point list i i I love that um that that destruction and explosion of the 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 mind's attempts to create a pretty parcel and bow of the why this is happening and linking it to that event and so on and also that that cosmic view of the individual unfolding being an expression, a continued surge of, let's say, the Big Bang and the evolution of consciousness ultimately. So yes, if consciousness is evolving through these nervous systems, then some nervous systems are going to be born with certain capacities, tendencies, and perhaps those more evolved or potentially evolved nervous systems are going to be... um, more challenging vehicles to navigate with yeah to have that additional sensitivity 
I have zero research on this, <laughs> zero data for this, but uh, something I speculate about a lot is that we're just living the experience of a part of the species wide evolution, you know, that awakening is, is a really, really normal part of the evolution of the human species, you know, just in the same way that an individual person's life going from childhood to adolescence, if you didn't know what that was, you'd be like, oh my God, what's happening? You know, their body is changing and they're having this huge growth spurt and suddenly they're interested in, you know, sexual activity and what's happening. It's a really just normal developmental stage. And we know that because we know the developmental stages of an individual human life. And I think that we're living through a developmental stage of the species and that that is happening through the nervous system, just like it always has, right? Like our brains used to be just the lizard brains. It used to be just the limbic system that said, you know, how do I get, you know, how do I procreate and how do I fend off attackers and how do I get fed? The end. That's all the nervous system is interested in. And it keeps evolving. And those of us who have, um, for whatever reason, been born to the, the calling to to have this experience are have awareness of what it feels like to have this shift be happening from the inside out through nervous system. I mean, really God, whatever that word means <laughs> is. I, lo I love the way you, you, you <laughs> intone that. To, to really, you know, like I've, I've gonna never drop heard that word said <laughs> with the mystery. <laughs> In and the not knowing in the enunciation of the word that was beautiful. <laughs> yes, God, you know whatever this thing is that I'm alive and having a particular experience through a particular lens of consciousness. Um, I don't. It, it it wanted to give birth to all of these things, whatever it is, and it's got a lot of eternity has a lot of time you know on its hands <laughs> so the the species you know we started single-celled organisms and like here we go we just keep getting more and more complex and um some of us have a great um confusing honor of having some awareness of what that feels like i i think on the from the inside out yes and it feels helpful um, and logical, if not necessarily well-researched at this point of our understanding that as consciousness evolves, certain individuals or, or, or groups of beings would be tasked with the, the, the job, as it were, of engaging with deep shame or sexual trauma or depression mm -hmm. or aspects of the nervous system that collectively have been experienced and we haven't been able to handle so well yeah. and uh, need to be able to handle better. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very difficult. I, I don't want to use that word better or handle because it, bringing it down to the individual again, it's like that tendency to shame or to see trauma as bad is, is right. perhaps loaded into that. But staying, staying with that bigger view, I think it brings a really noble, heroic quality to 
you know, that the hero's journey that every human life is, is on and to consider the, a, the, the, the honor, (laughs) you know, of being tasked with facing this particular flavor of suffering or with, Mm. with processing or learning to love this particular trauma or pain and be just helpful to consider that if that's the case, this body, this nervous system has the capacity, albeit a potential mm-hmm. to have that experience, to, to integrate that, to yeah. ultimately move on to a more evolved state. And we do now know, of course, in the 20th, in the 21st century, that the nervous system is set up in such a way to evolve sufficiently within a lifetime mm-hmm. capacities that may not have been available at the start of that life. You know, we know from neuroplasticity and so on, and we can assume that neuroplasticity applies to neurology throughout the, throughout the system, throughout the body. Yeah. So that feels like a really helpful cosmic perspective and a neurological physiological truth that however, intense or dark it gets even 12 years or you know that there is a sound reason to have hope and to have um trust Mm -hmm. that this mystery might reveal itself in some way through yeah through through, through eternity's plentiful time (laughs) and i'm curious actually to talk to you about because i don't think we ever got into this on bliss and grit um or if we did, I don't remember. One of the things that's interesting to me, one of the things that was helpful about following this information that I had in the past, right, about studying the body and the nervous system and the vagal nerve and discovering, okay, well, the freeze response, the dorsal vagal pathway feels connected to dark night. Okay. Mm. One of the things that's interesting is that the there isn't, and there's a very um, fast and easy regulation out of fight and flight, but not such a fast pathway out of freeze. It's a part of the older part of the brain and it's about, you know, shutdown. So people will experience things like, um, um, like I had a lot of really significant limb weakness it was tested for a lot of diseases thinking, you know, it was my nervous system shutting down and people will have digestive issues, things like IBS and, and things like that. Um, the heart issues as well, but even more specifically diaphragm and below type issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to get the brain. It's hard to get the body out of freeze. And one of the things that can help us get out of freeze. And this is just super handy information to know if you're somebody who's prone to freeze or if you're going through dark night is um, things like joy, gratitude, pleasure, and for sure the ability to access safety. But almost safety has to come secondarily because you can't perceive safety when you're there. So things like joy or gratitude can start to boot up higher level functioning, get you out of the more you know, primal part of the brainstem. And I think it's fascinating that, that your work has become so much about um, how powerful, how deeply powerful gratitude is. And I'm just curious if I'm turning into 
interview remote again, but I'm curious if for you that was partially evolved out of your own pathway out of dark night or did it not feel connected to you? You know, it's really, specifically? it's really curious as you were speaking to that, there was a, a nice movement of energy up my, up my spine and, and into my uh, brain and, and, and cranium mm-hmm. that, I can narrate now as to be a, a, almost as if the nervous system was enjoying being talked about. Or, <laughs> or, yes, I know how to do this movement. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and perhaps perhaps giving a hint as to what it is to um, to, to, to have gratitude be a movement from the, the, the root up through the chakras, mm-hmm. or, or, or yeah, as, a, as, a, as a symbolism or as an energetic reality or the pathway from the depths yeah. up into higher into higher states and 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 indeed specifically is to to to, to joy from despair mm-hmm. um so for, for, for me a quality of dark night would be total despair total hopelessness total pointlessness um and the the knowing joy from that, um, I mean, I I I I feel a overwhelm uh, or or a deep warmth that could overwhelm just touching the edge of the beauty of that to have that experience in this lifetime. So there's two mm. things that feel helpful to to speak to in this from from this experience. One is from from nowhere, um, grappling with depression, um, and I would I would say depression rather than a dark night at the time. There was a, a counterintuitive sense that if I were grateful for this uh, heaviness, this this pain, this despair located in the, in the nervous system as a, as a, a, a tremendous heaviness on the heart and the center of the body. And what would happen if I were grateful for this? Mm. What would happen if I were, so there was this bowing. I think I was, as I recall it, and I've told the story a few times, so I wondered to what extent I've sort of made it into a, a story that was rather more, pretty than it actually was but as I recall it I was on my knees in the despair of fuck this feeling Mm -hmm. really I've had enough of this feeling and then from that familiar resistance to the pain an inclination this this bizarre inclination to say thank you to, to, to bow to this unlovable horrible part of myself as it had been perceived and and to to say thank you thanks for being here thanks for showing up and that certainly trans began a process of transformation um mm-hmm. that that is still ongoing i'll, I'll be honest like I'm, i just recently encountered a perspective of my nervous system and heart from a somatic experiencing perspective that was that was new and it was really beautiful. Like, oh, wow, there's still more, still new yeah. ways of perceiving and experiencing this 
this this body this 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 being um so that speaks to that gratitude piece a little bit and it that's become a a mental practice for many years like that was what i did morning and evening and these days it's a it's a a way to start the day i started the day this morning uh, opening my arms and yeah like just a brief moment of thank you mm -hmm. of really dropping into being in this body and i do that every day regardless of what this body wakes up with mm. and i say every day i maybe sometimes i don't but I, I endeavor to do that every day as a way of greeting what whatever's here yeah um and and feeling whatever aches and feeling the heaviness or feeling the lightness um so i really appreciate you speaking to this known power and capacity of gratitude joy of pleasure um of love you know imagine human connection that the hug you know beautiful thing we have that's that the saint as she's called perhaps appropriately Anna who goes around sharing a happy nervous system with other nervous systems we could look at it that yeah. way nervous um, systems need other nervous systems to heal that's for sure you right. know that we're not designed to be so isolated and I see a lot of people and I'll include myself you know have a habit of I'm gonna go home and um, do my self-care practice alone yeah, <laughs> and, and feel better, you know, and there is so much to, you know, these behaviors of a healthy, well-regulated nervous system are pro-social. You know, they yes. want to be in community. They want to connect to others. They want to be seen and known by others. So that's important to say too. Yeah, I, I, I can fully relate. I'm uh, continuing to learn to notice that tendency to want to do things by myself and I am grateful for my love of solitude and silence and also recognizing the necessity and the value and the importance and, and the delight of sharing in community and uh, allowing that self-care and allowing relating to become a, a more embodied um, experience. There, there was one other piece just to speak to that I think is in what you were asking around it's around 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 the joy piece and the thank you so this is part of my experience more recently as you're aware i had a bit of my brain removed which is a fairly interesting experiment within a you know, nervous system exploration surely as, yeah. as to how that might look and one of the things that sometimes happens is i get what a, what a doctor might call a partial seizure though i would mm -hmm reject that language but just to offer some lens in that's maybe helpful for people and it's like a, a lot of energy at my left side and it might manifest mm -hmm. as maybe some um, numbness or tingling on the left side of my face um, it might it, it feels like I might be about to have a seizure it's quite similar to precursor symptoms that have in prior experiences led to a grand mal seizure so there's an extent of um, there's a degree of uh, physiological fear that arises as a as a, an intelligent recollection that things could be about to get really intense. Yeah. To you know tell me to sit down on the floor or make sure there are no sharp objects within my flailing uh, range, and mm -hmm. 
what I, what I have, the reason I wanted to speak to this is what I've been invited to do um, with some regularity, a few times a month, this tends to happen, is to be in that and to invoke and fall into the openness and the love that's here now. Mm. And to affirm and know myself as love in this moment so it, it's it's thank you for this and if and there's and there's a total there's a totality in this so this if it is to be seizure or if this is the brain hemorrhaging or whatever then like thank you mm. and within that cosmic picture again of the each of our individual unfoldings as part of the collective expansion there is a, a genuine appreciation that I get to have those experiences. It's like, wow, that's a really, you know, I'm, I'm happy that, to never have them again. And I'm grateful that I have that opportunity to allow that extraordinary intensity and immensity in the nervous system to be, to be held, to be met, to be breathed into, and to be appreciated. Um, and so far, so good. That breath and surrender and gratitude has meant that has not become a grand mal seizure in, um, in nine years now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, that, that's definitely been powerful in formation in my experience to, to, to see mm, how. It's gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. To have the, the surrender woven in with the appreciation, you know, and getting that granularly close to the moment. It's, it's so beautiful and, and fascinating, you know, and for anyone listening who can relate to what we're talking about, I think that it is really important to know that growing capacity to experience um, gratitude, appreciation, and joy are really helpful pathways mm. for the nervous system out of some of these chronic states. And um, just to share one of my experiences, because it was so um, funny, the way it's strange, the way it came, but it, it turns out is a really useful exercise is, um, you know, really in the, the depths of dark night, I was sitting on the floor of my house and it was at night, my son was asleep in bed. And so I was alone in my living room and um, just totally in that full on despair and terror. And the way it arrived was as if my 80 year old self suddenly time traveled <laughs> The words weren't time travel at the time and entered my body in that moment. And suddenly everything about that moment was transformed because she, future me, was getting this opportunity to come back, not just look through a photo album, but to really live that moment. And so she could look around and she could see, you know, the, the wadded up tissues on the table and the mess, right, of <laughs> the dishes I was too despairing to put in a sink. And, you know, it wasn't a scene of, right. And she was her young self and she was seeing 
everything took on a quality of, oh my God, I remember this house. Oh my God, I remember this couch. I remember this rug. I remember this feeling, you know, having had a virus at the time, having this virus. And just everything was so exquisite. Like she would have prayed for any opportunity. And I'm not imagining that she was having some shitty 80 year old experience, right? So it wasn't like things are terrible, but I can go back and appreciate you as whatever age I was, 44 or something. Um, it was more just some way, some narrative that my mind probably constructed, right? To give me this exquisite gratitude for every tiny detail of that moment. And I've used that practice intentionally um, so many times since then. And it just grounds me into the moment and just surrender to, you know, it's not to give her a tour of my Las Vegas lifestyle, right? Like, look at how amazing I am. <laughs> it's to come and appreciate everything that's, that's here. And that that, for me, has been a practice that helps me to to embody, to really mm. deeply embody what it is we realize when we have spiritual realization anyway, mm. and that my system has needed to um, grow capacity mm. to be able to tolerate joy. Mm. It sounds funny, yeah. you know? but, but for me, really had to grow capacity and I've had a wonderful life, you know, so I'm not trying to paint some dire portrait, but um, just the way I got hooked up you know, that was the, the foreign thing or the strange um, thing or a way that you didn't get attention. I was, you know, the emo girl in high school, right? So that's just a way of getting attention mm. with my, you know, whatever dyed half blue hair mm. or whatever I was doing at the time. So those, you know, what are the ways that we can play with and what you were describing for yourself when you're having that that sensation and how do you just surrender to the gorgeousness of the moment i think that this is very potent stuff for us to be able to to embody what we're realizing instead of it just being like you know candy or a new persona a new spiritual ego that we can really start to live from there yeah a hundred percent and there's i want to emphasize your pointing us to the just to like be as crystal clear as possible with our listeners and viewers the uh, capacity to cultivate joy and gratitude that you know whatever the degrees of dysfunction or darkness we may have been finding ourselves in we have the capacity to cultivate and rewire i don't i, I think we over, kind of overuse the Right, I know analogy, it's handy, but, but we yeah. do. <laughs> I, um, I certainly overuse it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of another one on the on the fly that's more more organic or more biological. But anyway, we can. I use weave a lot because I've worked in right. fascia for so many years. Like reweave those things into ourselves. I, I like that until you said fashion. I was like, mm, okay, so yeah, oh, we, fascia, we, connective tissue. Oh, Sorry, fascia. I think it's fashion. <laughs> Just fascia, to be clear, that sounds cool and hip and spiritual. Not fancy clothes, right. right? Human tissue, the stuff that makes us not goo that weaves us together. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, in which case, I will go with that initial embrace of weave. Yes, to to, to weave the connections in our synapses and neurons and in our nervous system, and the 
immensity and intensity is often the necessity to actually allow that new capacity to come on board right like i am here to, to touch on those intense I, I there's no other way to face imminent seizure and possible death and be in joy and trust as an embodied state um then to go to it right and yeah and to do it i mean there's no here i am here we are you can't read about it like oh yeah okay got it you know just as you can't read (laughs) about what it is to experience shame percolating through the body as a biochemical yeah uh, incapacitating reality it it, we have to directly experience it and we have to embody it i mean that's that's how it coming back to how you helpfully framed this dialogue at the beginning you know all this happens in the body every awakening experience every samadhi every emptiness it's all happening biochemically it's happening hormonally it's happening genetically and um yeah this 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 still is often forgotten in in our in our dominant narratives within the within the spiritual world yeah we treat awakening like it's something other than being a human being i think it's really about being deeply and fully a human being yeah Hmm. i'm wondering to share with our viewers tools or resources we've alluded a little bit to the power of 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 breath um of of gratitude as as a means of bringing presence as a means of surrendering to intensity and immensity and you've mentioned collision with the infinite and you've mentioned Mm -hmm. um stephen porges um and i'm wondering if there's any perhaps resources that you share or i know you've got this new community that's liberated being um and i'm wondering if there if there's anything else that we want to speak to in terms of practical responses so i'm always thinking if people are listening to this because they when we didn't have dark night in the in, in the title um but you know, if, if they've been drawn to this conversation or this dialogue because they're in suffering because they're in yeah great challenge or they know someone that is perhaps um mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because of the way I function, I can go off on a long, long list of resources. So I'm trying to narrow, narrow them down. When people are really, really in it, really suffering, it can be tremendously helpful to get, to get support in certain ways. So, um, you know, understanding information about the polyvagal theory can be illuminating and very helpful, but to what you were saying before, we need to be able to have a shift in, in experience. Um, some things that have been helpful um, for me and for others are really somatic based trauma recovery practices, things like somatic experiencing, which is the um, created by Peter Levine. Uh, I know that, things like neurofeedback, lens neurofeedback in particular, 
if people are really, really in a, in a non-functional place or low functioning place, that can be really helpful um, to get to the place where you can start playing with gratitude practice. You know, these things happen sometimes as well. Uh, and then, and then once you have the capacity to, to practice, to intentionally shift your experience, to, to be devoted to that, you know, to commit mm. to that. I, I spent a long time, you know, I, I went through a pretty strong, like, I, I'm not a person, I'm just a sock puppet for God phase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that was sort of the way that my self interpreted no self. And I mm-hmm. turned it into this very sort of like, well, I guess I just float down the lazy river of life and mm-hmm. um, God will do have its poems. way with me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was really helpful to come to no, you know, there's something to I exist and I can commit to things and I can be devoted to things and that that stepping into power in that way as a as a person who can decide to be devoted to like a gratitude practice um, can be tremendously helpful. And what I was saying before about community, I mean, one of the main reasons why I started Liberated Being and it's just about to open to its first group, so um, we'll see how it goes. But I work with a lot of clients, you know, doing embodied coaching. I hear from all thousands of listeners who listen to Bliss and Grit. I'm really lucky that I get to, to hear from so many people who are in such a similar place. And um, it's confusing and it's lonely and people feel apart from life and people do better when they're connected to other people mm. who understand what this is, both in terms of really skillful teachers and guides, but also just people. Yeah. Who um, I was joking with a friend of mine, you know, that in a community like this, when someone says, oh, you know, I went out to dinner with my parents and I didn't try to please them. Right. If you said that to somebody who's not on a healing path, they might just be like, good for you. But mm-hmm. if you're talking to someone who knows that path, they're like, ah, oh, you know, you really shifted into a different way of relating. Wow. Um, I'm being goofy, but it can be so helpful to be connected to people. So, um, yeah, I created that resource for that as well. Yeah, I think that the, the power of community and uh, the normalizing of experience through being able to say, yep, been there and that's okay. And yes, that's normal. That's not an yeah. uncommon thing with some a sort of particular type of client that I work with. They'll come to me and it will be a case fundamentally um, there'll be other dimensions, but initially to just to reassure that some of the experiences that they're having are valid and okay and um, not atypical to yeah. a process of awakening. And we, of course, live in a culture where there's a tendency to pathologize human experience mm-hmm. and, and medicalize and, and, and so on. And I think our conversation today hopefully will be helpful in normalizing and bringing acceptance to some of the more challenging aspects of of the path uh, as it may or may not manifest for for each individual um yeah i think that's the that, that's the thing isn't it for some there was another question here or another point that you put to for us to ponder um yeah, which is actually the one that I mentioned. Why are some people more prone to a dark night of the soul? I think we've touched on that in terms of we may be coming through into this life with a particular mm-hmm. karmic load or 
or, 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 or tendency. Um, and if I'm just having a quick look at these other questions to see if there's anything else you might want to touch on as well. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe just this, this one, because I want to ensure I've tapped into your knowledge and wisdom as, as much as possible. Um, you talked about how is, if awakening is about shifting from the ego's point of view to the soul's point of view, then in what way are we talking about moving from orienting via the limbic system to orienting via the prefrontal cortex? Mm -hmm. I feel there's, there's a, it's a, an expansion of some of the lenses we've already talked about to neurologically locate what happens in awakening, perhaps. You've know, never had an MRI of someone having an aha moment, but that would be amazing. Wouldn't it? <laughs> and maybe we'll get there one day. With, maybe. Yeah. Know, we, I'm about to maybe buy a ring that will be able to tell me my heart rate variability and my heart rate and how much sleep I'm getting and all these sorts of things. So it's not nice. that difficult to imagine that down the track uh, with quantum computing and all heaps else that, that maybe we will actually be able to have live brain scan information coming back. But I wonder if you can speak to that um, the, the, the power of joy and gratitude perhaps or whatever else feels helpful in making that shift or, or, or just in, in general terms, like to what extent is awakening about shifting from the limbic system to the prefrontal cortex? What does your experience and yeah. in research indicate? Well, to, to sort of paint it in a, in a broader brush, just because I think it can be more helpful sometimes than getting into to terms, you know, neurological terms, um, that we're shifting from our survival self, our survival orientation towards the world, to more a much more expansive operating system, we could say, of how we orient in the world, where we're still people, you know, with particular experiences and histories and personalities and desires. Um, but that we can really bring forward those sort of more, more creative, more pleasurable, more open-hearted, wholehearted ways of being. Whereas so much of the way that this species has functioned for so long has been through a lens of survival. And not just um, how do I get food, how do I get shelter, although for sure for a long time that was the case and we still think about those things to be sure. Um, less so for someone like me who has you know, quite a lot of privilege and I don't worry about homelessness or, or things like that, although plenty of people do have those concerns. Um, but even the ego, you know, which develops intelligently, very intelligently, as an act of self-love, <laughs> it's basically trying to perceive in the environment. So imagine you're zero to three years old and it's, it's figuring out, it's collecting information. Okay, how do we do things around here? How do I get my needs met? Um, how am I appreciated? And this is you know, a large part of how we're, we form our personas and also how we're conditioned to be. You know, so one child might discover as an infant that the only way they exist, the only way that a parent attunes to them and notices them is if they're losing their shit, 
You know, when they're full throttle tantrum, they get love and attention. Ah, good to know. <laughs> Lose my shit more and I'll get my needs met more, right? Other children might notice that they're more um, sort of quiet or submissive or adorable they are, the more attunement they get. Ah, good to know. Be more submissive, quiet, adorable, um, fawning towards people. So, so much of what we think we are is just a way to experience safety in this world. And that's coming from that limbic perspective. What if we knew we were safe? You know, first of all, wouldn't it be amazing if that were true, right? Like there's plenty of reality that that's not true. You know, that we, we have whole societies out of the United States set up around systemic racism and injustice. We have, you know, real, you know, in my town, there's lots of kids who don't have food. So the school provides breakfast to, to those children, right? We are accurately perceiving <laughs> that there are holes <laughs> in our safety needs. So it's not that we need to gaslight ourselves to say, oh, I just need to experience safety and everything will be amazing. Like we get to perceive what we're perceiving, but what happens if those of us who, who can, those of us who are able, can start to bring forward something other than just survival? Because what I've discovered, and you get to talk to a lot of people in these spaces too, is that um, what we really wanna do with our time is not hang out on a multi-million dollar yacht. It seems like what we wanna do with our time, the more we can move out of survival system and into embodied safety, embodied presence, the more we wanna heal the world, the more we wanna to connect to other people who are suffering and let them know they're not alone, the more we wanna repair systems and structures that don't help people. So it's not that this is readily available to everyone, everyone has different survival needs that are going met or unmet, but when we can make the journey, it seems like it's bringing forward on my more optimistic days, <laughs> is it bringing forward a culture where we can heal these things because we don't need to be operating from this point of view of scarcity, which is a survival setting, right? Like I have to hoard for me because there's not enough for everyone and I need to make sure I stay on top because somebody's got to be on top. Everyone can't thrive. And it's like, really? I think that's just the old lens mm. of the limbic system that's, that's setting us up to create a culture in that image. Like our culture is created in the image of lack and survival thinking. And if we can make the shift, I, I sure hope, <laughs> I would love to see that we can start rewriting a, a totally different experience for the species as a whole. We'll see. I, I, I love that and how exciting that we will see. And I love the, the, the rewriting and part of the impetus behind Love and Truth Party and what we're sharing with the world is this old narrative or the old consciousness of separation of ontological materialism and ethical materialism and and lack and much of these are you know uh, narratives such as survival of the fittest or, or, or dog eat dog yeah. you, you alluded to there um old stories that uh, survival thinking stories right so I, I love this through embodiment through our own individual 
journeys bringing the embodied reality of connection of being and of of plenty of of enoughness of more than enoughness and as you alluded to in that state when when it, when it, when a human system has more than enough whether that be financial resources and i think importantly especially when that's coupled with emotional yeah. resources when that human being is connected when that human being feels when that body feels totally safe and is able to self-source love to receive love um that's a very powerful um, place to be operating from in the world and i think very naturally from that giving happens and service happens and healing happens there's a sharing of this love and a sharing of this 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 abundance um so yeah i'm a a naive uh, optimist and on my hopeful days also I, i i see um the evolutionary function and power of these personal journeys that we're that that, that we're all on. Hmm. Yeah, I feel I'm feeling a, a surge of gratitude to have been able to tap into your wisdom and and knowledge, Brooke. And um, I'm excited for your members of your community, liberated being, and um, excited as I. I'm aware also of the other offerings you bring into the world with your podcasts and so on uh, and your coaching work, what, um, what that, what that means for people. And I hope that our dialogue today is useful to our listeners and to our viewers. It's certainly been useful for me. I've, I've learned and I've appreciated being in dialogue with you. So thank you so much for, for giving your time and, and sharing your wisdom and your presence with, with our community. Thank you so much. So sweet to sit with you as always. And I really appreciate everything you're bringing to the world as well. Thank you. And thank you also to our listeners, to everyone who has tuned in. Thank you to our supporters. Thank you to those that are giving contributions to Love and Truth Party. If you want to access your love letters from the universe, if you'd like to give financial support, or access other episodes with other extraordinary human beings such as Brooke, then you can find us on loveandtruthparty.org. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening today.